0: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org.
1: Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Cooking issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network in Roberta's Pizzeria. Where's Where's this house? Where is it?
3: Where are we? Old radio questions. Yeah, where? No, where are We're we? We're in
0: Chelsea, Manhattan. Yeah, that,
3: that would be incredible. Bushwick, Brooklyn.
2: So joined as usual in the studio with Nastasia of the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. And uh, she's looking up last week's questions that I missed. And Jack, Jackie molecules back from his stomach virus. Yeah. Was it a virus or were you food poisoned?
0: See, I was just talking to Stas about this before the show. Everybody pukes and they immediately assume they've been food poisoned, um, which is what I assumed when my girlfriend was puking all Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, Either that or she was just like sick of me and it was, you know. Wait, you were both puking it up? No, she was first all weekend and then two days later... I got hit with the same thing in the oh, middle yeah. of the night. That's so virus.
2: That's not, that's not food poisoning unless she got it, no. cooked you something, didn't wash her hands. No,
0: no, no, no. And then no. Hit,
2: you, hit you with it. No,
0: then she went back to work at a school she teaches at, and like half of the teachers had been calling out sick with the same thing. So did was, she,
2: I hope she kept her mouth shut that it was her that did it.
0: No, it wasn't her. It was some kid in the cafeteria puked when she was working. So, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. of course it was a kid. Come on. Yeah,
2: well, you know, their little virus.
0: But how do you tell, them, like, Dave, way that if it's, you know, food poisoning or, or viral? I feel like d- everybody kind of jumps to that conclusion, right? They're like, oh, it must have been that sushi ad or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, usually, like, I only know it's food poisoning when, first of all, I very rarely have any of that kind of stuff happen to me. But, like, it usually someone else will get hit like cuz i can survive foods that like i've had my, my wife get knocked out by foods like like puking like on the ground unconscious i've had like friends and family like get totally wiped out and like i just feel like a little bit not as not good but when i get knocked out and then like everyone around me who was eating with me gets knocked out I'm pretty sure it was food poisoning you know what i'm saying yeah yeah at the same time also like if you eat something that's just intensely stupid and you get hit pretty much hey you know it was the food. Like, my wife once, she went, you you're familiar with I the... I thought you are
3: not supposed to tell the story.
2: Fine, fair? Yeah. Oh, all right, never mind. <laughs> Wait, what's intensely
0: stupid food?
2: Uh, Don't buy the week-and-a-half-old pre-made parfait at your local, like, you know, supermarket that was made by someone in the back. Got it. Don't buy the sushi that's been sitting there all day God knows how long. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't like don't buy sushi at a supermarket you know what I mean that has like raw products in it because all it takes is one knucklehead to not wash their hands before they uh, before they do it or to get some cross-contamination and you are hosed you know what I mean and it's not like it, it's not it, you know it's uh, at, at least at a restaurant right you know you assume that the people who are cooking have had some sort of training or there's some sort of cook there who knows what's right and what's wrong and is going to at least partially prevent uh, you know, the the people making the food from completely uh, destroying the clientele. But, you know, at the supermarket, who the hell knows? You know what I mean? Yeah. Supermarket sushi. Right up there with gas station sushi. You know, our good friend of the show, Peter Kim, once purchased a moldy sandwich made at a gas
3: station and ate it and didn't die. No, <laughs> he took the mold off. And then when he was finished with the sandwich, he saw an extra piece of something in the container. And he was like, oh, I'm not done. And then he ate the mold, forgetting no, that he had taken the mold off. No, he did
2: Yeah, now Ask listen. Peter Kim. The thing about Peter Kim, lived like – like literally lived like in a hut in the jungle for years. Can eat It has amazing pictures from Cameroon of uh, like – he was like teaching these little kids and they would draw pictures of people with like horrible intestinal diseases, like spraying fluids out of every orifice, intense stuff. So I guess he, you know, he is a strong personality in terms of his constitution. So you know, he's like, what's, what's mole going to do to me? Although I'll tell you what. The problem with mold is you never know what kind of mold. If you're worried about what kind of mold you got, bad mold has the aflatoxin, and then you don't know until you get the cancer, like 20 years later. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I just stay away from it.
3: Well, we'll check in with Peter in 20 years, right? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) For a number of reasons.
2: Uh, Wow. That's rough. There's a caller on the line. Okay, caller,
3: you're on the air.
1: Hi, Dave. This is Andrew from Pittsburgh. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I'm a bartender, and I just had a bunch of really fantastic USPC classes yesterday. Nice. Uh, one of them was a vermouth class, and the guy giving the class um, talked about orris uh, roots and its uh, its role in gin, and he kind of described it as, um, he said, it kind of helped lift the, all the other ingredients. It doesn't really have a flavor by itself. It's just kind of bitterness, but it, it helps lift all the other flavors. Well, it's,
2: it's got um, a flavor. It's got like a kind of also like a vague kind of sweetness. I like orris. I think orris yeah. is, is good. You know what I mean? Um we were playing with Oris last week. Yeah, says. I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, you don't want, yeah. like, you know, you don't want, like, I don't know that anyone's ever made a plain Oris root liqueur. I don't think it would stand on its own, but you know what I mean? It's, right. yeah, it's good. Anyway, so what do so we got yeah. going with Oris?
1: Okay, so I, I mean, that, anything that was, and as an additive effect to a lot of other ingredients which interests me, and so, um, you know, I looked up. Tried to find as much as I could about it. All the usual suspects. I went to McGee and he didn't have anything. And then I went to Amy Stewart and she just had a very short little piece on it, um, and talking about how it was like a fixative and helped hold fragrances or flavors in solution by creating some sort of a missing compound um, to keep them from um, volatilizing hmm. as easily.
2: Is that true, um, or is that just a theory?
1: I have. I mean, I have no idea on this. So, I mean, I'm coming at it from hearing about this less than 24 hours ago.
2: Right. So, I don't understand um, why it would do that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's kind of my question was if you knew more about it and, and what you could do with it, or if it was possible to make a tincture that would uh, that you could use to kind of act as a way to lift a bunch of other ingredients. Or I mean, if that's even possible for.
2: Well, I mean, obviously, certain flavors and also certain aromas and certain tastings, right? Uh, yeah. Can Push and pull other flavors up and down in the way that you perceive them, even if they themselves are not immediately – Perceivable. And so the obvious ones are, of course, vanilla and uh, salt, right? Right. So, uh, and, you know, it's entirely um, possible, feasible that um, Oris also has some of those uh, characteristics. I don't understand what would be in Oris root that would literally fix, in other words, make make volatiles less fugitive. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe I, I, the thing is, is, I've carbonated things with auras before, and I don't n- notice it doesn't have any like it doesn't really change the viscosity. It doesn't like I, doesn't appreciably, I don't think, change the surface tension too much. So I don't know what. Or in, in other words, I don't, see, I don't see anything that it would change that would stop stuff from volatilizing, but it might right. make volatiles uh, more apparent to you. Now, what t- typically, like Nastasia and I, literally, we did this like a week ago uh, or two weeks ago. It, you know, what you should do is, and I'm sure you have a local store in, in Pittsburgh. You know, we have a couple here. and I know, you know, a couple where they are in Philadelphia, but, you know, everyone's got one or there's the internet and, you know, just get a bunch of different um, things. And, and I would make a, uh, a tea a water-based tea, and then yep. I would do um, an alcohol tincture, and I would do one, like, hot it depends on how much experimentation you want to do, hot, cold, and then uh, ISI, uh, and then um, you can kind of... Get a range because what happens is that the different extraction uh, techniques, i.e., in water or in oil, uh, water or in uh, alcohol, will, will pull out different um, different properties. And also, um, whether it's hot or cold, or whether it's ISI, is going to change the extraction speed. And usually, the faster extraction speeds tend to reduce bitter components and increase kind of uh, aromatic highlights, which is which is nice. And so, what you do is you just make a whole boatload of these uh, tinctures, make them one item, right? And then you can go about and uh, mix them. So if you if you're very accurate, if you measure exactly how much product you put into your um, tinctures, like you know, like I am doing 20 grams of orris into 500 mils of water, uh, 500 mils of boiling water, steeping it for five minutes and straining it. Bang! Now you know, and you know you keep track to make sure that the orris root is always the same size all the time, so your extraction rate is the same, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you know you're like, okay, I put five milliliters of that solution in, and then you know t- you know 20 milliliters of uh, mace, uh, the solution, and blah, blah, blah. And then you can go back and reconstruct your recipe. Now, it's never going to taste the same when you try to do all your extractions at the same time, or you average them out, but you can get pretty close, and you can really kind of fine-tune your... um, your mixtures, or for instance, you could buy someone's gin and you could jack the Oris. You know what I mean? You can do a, a, a bunch of things like that. So it's a lot of fun. But uh, you know, in order to do experimenting, you really have to. And it's a, Stas, how much of a pain in the ass is it? Very I mean, butt, much. But butt, sorry, pain of the butt. Yeah, family show. But the yeah. So you're sitting there with like you know thirty quart containers all labeled, and you know don't even bother tasting at the get go. Just crank quart containers out with uh, with different known uh, solutions in them, and then just go out tasting. Teas are the fastest, right I mean like and cheapest because you 're not blasting through alcohol, so I think as a first approximation, alcohol's going to taste entirely different, but you know just for fun playing around it's, uh it 's really fun doing um, uh, teas and then the great thing about teas is is that it, it, you can use them for sodas, you know what I mean so you can make sodas and, and non alcoholic stuff uh, and then you can later uh, kind of re ramp those recipes for alcohol or or, or bar, but the Remembering that if you do extractions in alcohol, you almost invariably pull more bitter components out.
1: Okay, um, and was that using um, fresh ores, or was that using the really over dried ores that um, they do to get the iron? To like they something oxidizes and turns into iron. Uh,
2: the only stuff I've ever used is the is like dried. It's like they almost look like very white wood chips, but they're small. Yeah, that's the only kind I've ever I've ever used. You've seen it fresh or?
1: No, no, I, I haven't. I was just curious um, if there was a way to use a press. Because the only one that I've seen and talked about was super, super dried. So yeah. It oxidizes a lot, so it um, can produce the iron.
2: I mean that's like the I mean the characteristic f- f- one I'm used to is that and remember is that you know most of the time when people were making liqueurs and things like that they were dealing with the dried article anyway because right. you know they weren't growing it necessarily and if they were they were stockpiling it and drying it dry stuff is a lot more stable so you, know, right. you like um, if you're you would never make. Um, And there's a question later we're going to talk about hopefully that that you never would make something that is intended to be stable with something unstable, right? And so uh, liquors uh, and liqueurs and and spirits and whatnot typically are meant to be relatively stable over a relatively long period of time. So in general, you'd be using um, things that are dried out. Now, I do the exact opposite a lot. And try to make things that you wouldn't ordinarily have fresh that couldn't be made that couldn't be made as a commercial product because they they won't last and that is really fun to do right so like fresh turmeric for instance or fresh galangal or uh, you know things like this that the um, where the, the you know the, the freshness couldn't be really made into a commercial product uh, but you right. can because you're going to sell it right away but the problem then is if you don't sell it right away you're you're stuck with a lot of product that costs money but you know that's life in the big City yeah right. All right, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, no, no problem. Good luck. Um, wait, so what,
3: what were we talking about, Saz? Food poisoning.
2: Oh yeah. So yeah, just stay away. From, stay away from. Uh, stay away from the supermarket uh, sushi, right, Saz? Do you ever eat that stuff? No. What is there anything that is like really like stupid like that that you like to eat?
3: Hmm. Like Mark had- eats the tiramisu from Food Emporium.
2: Whoa! Not anymore. Food Emporium out of business. Remember?
3: Or fine fare every night.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Mark night. Ladner, night. chef of oh, Del Posto restaurant, <laughs> eats the tiramisu from the fine Fair. The fine—you don't even have fine Fair. Wait, wait, people! For those of you that know. They shop at big, they shop at Big Apple Supermarket, which is Big Apple Supermarket. At least the roaches are refrigerated. I
3: haven't shopped there in a while.
2: Yeah, Mm-mm. I used to like shopping there because they have the giant buckets of uh, like the giant giant buckets of food, like the giant thing of, of cheese, the government cheese blocks, and the giant cans. I forget what can I used to buy. I used there's some can, some giant can of food, the fifteen number fifteen that I used to buy there all the time for home. I loved it. You hate it?
3: It's just a little further. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, Okay. So, oh, Stas, another question, maybe of interest. Did uh, did I see that our patent, uh, provisional patent, got put in or no? Yeah. So we can talk about it now. I guess so. You sure?
3: I can recheck.
2: Yeah, she's gonna recheck, and if if we're allowed to talk about, uh, we're allowed to talk about our new patent. Uh, we can. Oh, and did we have we, we have a new product? It's not like a big new product. Don't don't get excited. But we're going through beta testing now with some with some users. We heard heard anything back? Do people like it? Do they hate it?
3: Yeah, Nick likes it. Really? He's trying to find how to use it with Pebble Ace.
2: Huh. So how long uh, until we start selling it? You think?
3: Um. I don't know, like two weeks.
2: Okay, so for those of you that were listening, um, I don't know, we've, we've talked about it before on the show, right? There's this – the, okay, listen. When you're shaking a cocktail, you want to shake with big ice, right? Why? Because the texture is better. That's it. The texture is just better. But a lot of times you don't have big ice, right? When I say big ice, I'm talking like two inches on a side big ice. And something about that big cube rattling around inside of your uh, inside of your shaker um, – makes the texture better. But the problem is that you don't have that ice a lot. And even if you do have that ice, it's shake once and you throw it away. So you're throwing away all this ice. So your freezer is going to be full of these big ice cubes. You shake them once, you throw them away. It's wasteful, right, Stas? Right. Waste. Waste. And also if you're doing an event, right? And this is why we came up with it. If you're going to do an event and you're going out to – let's say say you're going to some like crap tank – you know, cater location. I'm not saying that all cater locations are crap tank. Many are beautiful, but you know what I'm saying, Stas, crap tank. Mm -hmm. So you go there and the ice they bring you is like the world's worst ice. It's like, it like literally is like a soupy, soupy mess of like tiny shells and broken uh, things. You know what I'm talking about, Stas. Mm -hmm. So, that ice, from a dilution standpoint, as we all know from the fundamental law of cocktails, if anyone's read the liquid intelligence, like the dilution's going to be fine as long as you shake off the uh, excess water that's on it because it's got a lot of surface area water on it, but the texture's not going to be good, so what you do is is uh, you we made this fake fake co- cube, what do we call it the cocktail cube mm-hmm. yeah doesn't chill drinks. Listen to me, please, very freaking carefully. It does not chill drinks. Wait, do, n- do cube? Oh, my God.
3: You're going to confuse the people, Stas. Seriously. It's not going to actually register in their brains until you say it three times. Okay, listen. Dude, listen. People are like, okay, so you
2: put this in the freezer and you use it instead of uh, ice cube. No. 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 First of all, you need ice to melt. To dilute the drink, or the dilution will be wrong, right? I mean, clearly you need ice to melt. And plus, we make this cube out of a uh, polymer; it's poly- polyurethane that is that is an insulator. It does not chill, nor does it heat your drink. Does it chill? It does. No. Does it heat it? No. Should you put it in your freezer? No. <laughs> right, right. It neither chills nor heats. It's just there to provide texture. So you throw this into your, into your shaker along with whatever crap tanking ice you have at your event or at your wonderful house. And you shake it and then you wash off the cube and you start again. Now, the one thing I have been told is that you should run, and it's not in the instructions, people, but that you should run this uh, polyurethane cube through the dishwasher once before you use it to, you know, because it's, it's, and we should have put it in the instructions, but it's a manufactured item. So you want to wash it before you use it.
3: Yeah, I'd say dishwasher, right. Yeah, it's it's a very it's like a rubbery
2: polyurethane because we discovered that if we used a really hard one that you would it would like kind of like uh, make little flakes. But this rubber works great. But it's not so rubbery. Did I talk about this in our show ever? Yeah, you we did. we made one so rubbery that it that it felt gross. Oh, speaking of, are we allowed to talk about your sister's art piece. Is that That's your sister's art piece? Not hers. No? <laughs> no. All right, so we won't talk about it. But speaking of like rubbery <laughs> things that may or may not feel like they belong in, in an adult shop. Oh like, God. Yeah. Uh, this art piece that Stas sent me a GIF of is uh, uh, unreal. Uh, I wish we could talk about it because it reminds me of an art piece that I did. In... She
3: doesn't know somebody made it there. I don't know. Who oh, it's did. not hers, no, unfortunately.
2: Mm, yeah, no. I'll
3: send it about to it you, Jack. Okay, so <laughs>
0: I put caller on the line. Caller, you're on the air.
3: Hi, uh,
4: hi, Dave, Nastasia, and the whole gang. Um, I am a hu- I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, I've been trying to make some veggie chips. Uh, okay. So far, I've been experimenting with taro. Um, Sweet potato, rutabaga, and cassava. I've been having a hard time getting the sweet potato and rutabaga to crisp up nicely. I was wondering if you had any suggestions.
2: Right. So they're soft and they go brown too fast, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Are you soaking them a lot beforehand?
4: So um, I tried two two different things. Uh, One of them, I uh, just like, I rinsed them off in cold water. And then one other time, I uh, salted them for a half hour beforehand. And both times, both things didn't really work.
2: Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a couple issues here. Uh, wait. What was the sweet potato? What was the other one you're having problems with? I'm sorry. Uh, the the sweet potato you were having problems. What was the other one? Uh, rutabaga. Rutabaga. Huh. Does rutabaga have? I guess rutabaga does have sugar in it, huh?
4: Yeah. It, it was pretty sweet when I like tra- tasted it raw.
2: Yeah. So the I love rutabaga. I've never had a rutabaga chip. I love it. I don't know why. Do you know why that the Brits call it Swede? No. Me neither. It's it's a delicious vegetable. Don't you find it an underused vegetable?
4: Yeah, I mean, it tastes kind of like turnip to me.
2: Yeah, but better. In other words, like, if someone said to me, hey, you could have a rutabaga, or hey, you could have a turnip, would you ever say, give me the turnip?
4: Never. Rutabaga sounds so much better.
2: Doesn't it, though? What do you think, Jack? (laughs) It's it's obvious. I mean, yeah, obviously. Rutabaga. So, uh, here's the thing. Um, Sugar is doing two things bad to you. One, uh, it 's browning very quickly when uh, when it 's frying right, and secondly, uh, as it cools down, the residual sugar uh, because it 's uh, you know hygroscopic is going to be absorbing uh, moisture and is going to make them soft and pliable, which are both your enemy, which is why by the way, sweet potato fries in general fries, not chips fries uh, are hard to make taste good and so i never order them uh ever but the uh never but the the, so how do you get around this one if you soak to try and get as much soluble sugar out as possible uh you're going to win somewhat the other thing you're going to want to do is that you're going to want to get as much of the liquid out of the thing before uh before it goes brown so start are are you starting with cold oil
4: Um, Cold oil? I I haven't been.
2: You should. With chips, here's the thing, right? So the the common wisdom when you're frying uh, something, right, is you put the oil in uh, and you put it in hot and you don't let the temperature drop too much because, God forbid, uh, if the temperature drops, the oil is going to get absorbed into uh, whatever you're frying, right? This is what we've all been taught growing up, right? Yep. Okay. In a chip... Chips are supposed to be filled with oil. Anyone who tells you that a chip a chip is supposed to be freaking saturated with oil, like half the weight of a chip is the oil that's been absorbed, it's it's solely crust. There is no reason to not, um, you know, fully inundate a chip with oil. Now you don't want. Grease on the outside, right you want to like you know put them on a towel and get the excess grease greasy chips disgusting, but like they like having oil in the chip itself not bad uh, in fact necessary that's what a chip is uh, that's why those quote unquote baked chips are an abomination, enemy of quality, ridiculous freaking things that should be banned. They should not call them. They, they should call them something else. Do you like those things, Stas? No. Jack, do you like those dang things? No, no, no. They're ridiculous. Well, like, the thing is, is they're a joke. Why don't why do people even... Why don't they just call them something else? Do you know what I'm saying? They're not a potato chip. Okay, enough. But listen... If you start from a cold oil, what happens is is that you can regulate the heat. You need to get rid of all of the water. That is your problem. You need to, you need to get the water out of those chips before they turn brown. So if you go cold, then you can do that. So for instance, uh, some people do this by uh, putting a vacuum on. So there was a – people used to try, try to sell this thing called a gastrovac, which was uh, – it didn't really work, but they, they said it was a vacuum fryer. But the problem is, is that they put a vacuum pump on it that didn't have the cojones to really suck a vacuum while you were frying, right? This didn't work. But uh, people commercially use a vacuum fryer to make things like apple chips. So the apple chips, they want to fry them, but they don't want to absorb a lot of oil because they're I don't know why, because they're you know low quality people, and uh, they suck a vacuum on it so that they can get rid of the water at a low temperature without the apple browning because the apple's got a lot of sugar in it, right? And so if you had a commercial system, which is I think how they do a lot of these kind of things commercially, you could suck a vacuum while you fry, but that's not really an option for you. For you, I would say do an initial soak to get rid of as much of the uh, uh, sugar as you can, then uh, start from cold oil and bring it up slow. Get the water out and then at the last minute, let the temperature ramp up to do any additional browning that you want after they after they they've kind of bubbled the stuff out. You ever do, you ever fry tortillas?
4: Me no,
2: no, I haven't. You should because yeah, get, I have. yeah because if you buy to- first of all, like buying tortilla chips, they charge too much for the tortilla chips, and I find them too thin. I don't enjoy the thin. Do you like enjoy thin tortilla no, chips? No, I do not. I do not oh, enjoy they them. They suck. They suck. You want the thick ones. So like it, I, you know, I'm not a fan of like uh, you know the maseca in general. If you can get the real masa, but like for frying, they're fine. Just go buy like the the regular like big stacks of tortilla uh, you know tortillas. Uh, You know, I I break them in half like a book, like book, 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 not break them, but like fold them so that they separate and then like peel them all individually apart, put them down into a stack, chop them into six and fry them. But they're good practice for chips, uh, for potato chips, because they're a lot more um, forgiving than a potato chip. But you just want to look at a tortilla chip, right? And it's going to bubble like a lunatic for a while. Stir them up, and then you're going to notice the bubbling start to subside, right? And that's when you know that you've gotten almost all the water out of the tortilla chip. Now, the mistake people make when they fry tortilla chips is they pull them out too soon because they don't want them to get too dark. Or they have, but when you pull them out, you have that little circle on the inside of the triangle that's too white. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Does you know what, I'm about? I know what I'm talking about? And then you tap it, and it's not crunchy. Yeah, And that's the worst. No one wants a sog- – unless you're making chilaquilas or something, nobody wants a soggy tortilla chip. It's not what you want. And the same goes true for potato chips. But I would practice maybe with tortillas on, on the fry because you can start tortilla chips also from cold. Uh, you don't need to and, and, and bring them up. And you'll notice that the water – if you get the oil temperature right, the water will go away. And then you have like a couple – like you have several seconds of window between that and – and when they start over browning. I also don't like an overbrown tortilla chip. Do you like that stuff? No, they start getting that burn over nutty yeah, flavor. No yeah. good. Tortilla chip's good practice for you and very cheap. And everybody likes tortilla chips that have been fried at home. They just they're just like they're just so much better. They really are. Right, Jack? I I agree. Alright. Give that give that a try and tweet us back and let us know how it worked.
4: will do. Thank you very much. Alright,
2: no problem. Hey Jack, should we take a break? That's what I was just gonna say. Alright, buddy.
0: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City A for purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha
5: Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram, and he's nonverbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him. All the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for non-verbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps, and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that.
0: For more information, visit culturecity.org.
2: Sounds good. Are they good people, Jack?
0: Oops, sorry. They are very good people. Yeah, in Birmingham. Very, very good people.
2: Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's uh, exactly exactly right, I think. the You know, the attitude is like every, everyone, you know, focuses on a cure when you get hit with a, a diagnosis for your kids like that. It's like, oh, cure, cure, cure. But no, it's like what you want to do is have your kid be the best them they can be. The most – have the most – joy in life for what they for what they want. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's what they do. That's the whole point of the organization. And uh yeah, they're great. And they also kinda like they, they were a, a big part of the wave of getting like iPads and noise canceling headphones in restaurants um and stuff. So, you know, like having things available for kids with autism and families that wanna dine out or, or go out. They do tons of work. Culture City with a K. Um, definitely check them out.
2: Yeah, and you know that's the other thing. If you see, like, look, parent, like people, people who don't like have uh, haven't dealt with these kinds of issues, just be, uh, be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Be charitable to people around you. If you're like, why is a kid doing that? Just shut up and leave him alone. You know what I'm saying, Jack? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, there's a lot of things that you don't understand, like why kids can't, why this kid can't eat food that are mixtures. And look, I have problems with it, too. Like, why can't kids, why, who knows? But, you know, deal with it. That's, that's life. Uh, it is a weird thing not liking foods mixed together. Right, Stas?
3: mm
2: mm-hmm. Were you like that when you were a kid?
3: Uh, yeah, but not, yeah.
2: Not like, you know, like.
3: Not Rose or whatever. Yeah,
2: like, like Booker can't have anything, Thank like, you. mixed. He, like he wants his but chicken broth by itself.
3: Remember when you gave him a chicken breast and an egg, and I said that's a bad uh, idea so, because.
2: <laughs> I think you prompted him because. No, <laughs> so I
3: didn't. I said it to you privately.
2: He's like dad. Too much protein, dad. No, too
3: much chicken.
2: Not too much chicken protein because it was it's an the egg. egg
3: and the chicken, and it's oh, the same God. animal. Uh, dinner. Hey, Here's your dinner,
2: kid. Here's your dinner. Well, look. He <laughs> at the time he just wanted like all he wanted was chicken, and eggs. So I figured I'll combine two things he likes separately on, on the plate i don't know whatever <laughs> um so uh stas do me a favor i had a question uh, i didn't get a chance to look up the recipe because i don't have it committed to memory i've had it committed to memory before but i erase it from my mind can you look up a long island iced tea because we had a question about it and you can uh, ask me meanwhile i hit another uh, hit another question here this in from benjamin terry my sister wants you to know that is not her art project Uh, Okay. there there may or may not be there may or may not be a a rubber there may or may not be a a rubber male member attached to a servo motor that that goes back and forth like a windshield wiper. And as it as it's moving out of the way, uh, a steak knife comes down and just misses it. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the piece that Nastasia's sister said she didn't <laughs> make. But it reminds me very much of a piece that I actually made back, um, you know, before I went to grad school. Did I tell you about this piece? Maybe. I don't think I've told this on the air. It's stupid, but it's a, it involves with knives. It's one of the worst cuts I've ever received in my life. I've received some pretty bad cuts, so uh, I, I was very interested in my artwork in uh, kind of um, machines and and kind of false like spectacle where it looked like you were going to get hurt but you weren't, or like there was danger but you know you didn't end up hurting yourself. So I built this little – so I had – you know, I built this little kind of machine. that was supposed to be a tiny, like, amusement park ride. And you, you grab this handle with your hand. And as you spin the, the handle, a, a, a razor – like, I built this knife with razor blades all on it, like, all real razor blades. And as your knuckle went down, the razor blade would accelerate over the top of your knuckle. So you couldn't – like, it was geared, so you couldn't cut your hand. But it accelerated so fast around over your hand that it was like, foom. Like, boom! Blinding right over your knuckles, like, and so I would sit there and I would, I would crank it g- 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 g with all these gears, and it would just be, like, boop, 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 these razors right over your hand. It's kind of like freaky, right? So that was the whole thing. This like kind of little mini amusement park ride. So, anywho, I'm going to. Uh, I applied to, actually went to, what got in, went to uh, Columbia University for fine arts as my MFA grad school. So I'm like, you know, I'll bring an art piece with me so as so I can show him what I do in the, you know, in the interview. And so I'm having this interview, Alan Hacklin, who is uh, – he's an artist and he's the, uh, he was the, the head of the program at the time. And so I'm talking to him. And you know how it's hard for me sometimes like to talk oh, and do stuff at the do same time. I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking to him and I had had to disassemble it to, to take it with me, right? So I'm assembling this thing while I'm talking to him and like pieces everywhere. And because I'm not paying attention, I assemble it get ready for it, Jack 180 degrees wrong. Oh, good oh boy. And so what that means is oh, is, is that the that my knuckle is in the high position when the blade is over I your agree. hand. And so I'm like, and so you can never cut your shaboof. And it, like the razor blade embeds itself like all the way into my knuckle. I still have the scar and the blood just starts pouring out of my hand all over his desk. in And he in was the middle like, you're in. Well, and I kept on like maybe because like my reaction was, um, yeah, I like, pulled like a napkin off of his uh, desk and wrapped it around my knuckle and tried to like keep as much pressure on as possible. Blood like seeping out of it all over my lap. Yeah, they let me in. I could finish the interview, kind of scraped the thing under my one arm, and like kind of walked out. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. So.
3: Okay. Long Island Iced Tea. Let's see what you
2: got, Stas.
0: I got one too.
3: What's in the? Okay. Two cups, ice cubes. One ounce vodka, one ounce gin, one ounce white rum, one ounce white tequila, half ounce triple sec, two tablespoons freshly squeezed lemon juice, half cup cola, two lemon wedges.
2: What do you got,
0: Jack? This this recipe says sour mix, but I mean mm. I mean that's you know then there's the Wondrich variation. Uh, what's his? So Wondrich has a half ounce absolute vodka, half ounce beef eater gin, half ounce Don Q white rum, half ounce uh, Milagro Blanco tequila, half ounce fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, and. Um, Wow, you know this
2: is. I like wonder if of- I wonder if Pernod Ricard paid for that recipe.
0: <laughs> those are all
2: Pernod. Those are all Pernod products. Um, yeah,
0: and uh, I have to ask you something though. I've never been able to pronounce um, Quanch It's Quantrô, right? Quantrô. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah.
2: quanch, The Quanch. I love that stuff. You like Quantrô? I have, I have yeah. With yeah. And Coke. You have pro- you have trouble with pronouncing Curaçao? Not anymore. Uh, well, I mean, I look. I pronounce everything wrong. I got in a huge argument with my wife uh, just a couple days ago because I was like, "I'm." We talked about it on the air. We t- last week. We talked about it. I s- I'm going to say coupon. She's like, "That's not what it is."
0: Oh, that's a few weeks ago. Yeah. Do you know what
2: she gets really mad at me for? Like, uh, you know the word like uh, opaque. Mm-hmm. I, I say it. I say it opaque. She's like, "It doesn't have three freaking syllables. It's opaque." I'm like, "No, I say it opaque," and like, "I don't care. Like, I don't care." Like, I'll call it chicken if I want. I'm the, that character. Wow. Of, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, leave me alone. with the, Leave me alone. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Well, if these are the only problems you have in a marriage, God bless you, right? Okay. Uh, so, uh, the question about Long Island ST, John from Dallas. And by the way, I tweeted out, you know, I saw J.R. Ewing's uh, hat at the Museum of the Moving Image, which is a fantastic museum. And I, I, I did it on Instagram. But he had, he had a really not that expensive hat. For Jr., it was like I, I like shoved my face against the side of the of the display case, so I could look and see inside the hat band, and it was just a triple X beaver, which is like you know, like an eighty dollar hat, oh, like way. a seventy or eighty dollar hat. I have the same hat, but I've remolded it, of course, into a planter shape because that's the only shape that I wear. Whatever. So John from Dallas asks, what affects the perception of alcohol in Long Island iced tea? The drink is almost completely liquor. Yet, is famous for tasting nearly non-alcoholic. It doesn't seem like it should work. Uh, well, I haven't had one in a long time, although Tristan back in the day used to – and Robbie used to make these uh, carbonated Long Island iced teas, which uh, they were just doing it for the acronym. But the the – why it works, I think it has to do with any time that you mix Stas just getting on board. Uh, Any any time that you mix a boat ton of stuff together, everything tends to even out. You know what I mean? And you kind of just lose the ability to distinguish uh, anything. So I think it's just the cola is probably watering it down and the lemon and then it's just a a, a poop spray of ingredients. I mean, I think that's the only thing I can think of. I don't think it's a magical list. I think you could rejigger it with almost anything else in it and it'd be fine. I'll tell you what we did once at the Bar. I get very, uh, I get kind of pretzled when you know the bartenders come up with drinks that have like 35 different ingredients in them, and so, uh, and I've said it on the air a million times. I call it like shotgun mixing. So I went to the bar once and I literally just went on the back bar and I took the first 15 uh, liqueurs. And I just mix them all in equal proportions. Just pick them all up, 15 liqueurs, bang. And they're like, yeah, it tastes fine. It tastes like cocktail. It tastes fine. I'm like, duh. Because if you mix a bunch of crap together, it just is kind of like uniform cocktail pablum. You know what I'm saying? And so I think something's happening there. It's the same thing with the, with, the, uh, with the iced tea. Was there anything brown in it? No. Yeah, that's it. They're sticking away. They're staying away from the brown. OK. Uh, Benjamin Terry wrote in. I'm trying to figure out a vegan, vegan. Well, a- cola. The cola also cuts. Yeah. No, I mean brown. Oh, brown, but not mean liqueur. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out a vegan replacement for egg whites in a cocktail uh, setting. Lately, I've been playing with Aquafaba, the chickpea brine, uh, which we have a lot of people who are interested in the I chickpea know. brine. Just as I know, freaking chickpea, Brian. And while I haven't noticed too much of a flavor or odor variation, it certainly isn't as frothy as an egg white. Uh, I'm mostly using the chickpea water from the falafel place across the street, cold-soaked. Would heat change the chemistry and make it frothier? I bet it would. Yes, I would definitely. Yeah, 100%. Uh, It would also taste more. Uh, Any tips for this process or for any other egg white replacements in your experience I should try? Thanks. Well... Most of the egg white replacements I've used actually are not vegan. So like milk washing, um, there are certain ingredients that are inherently frothy. So using those – here's the here's the thing, right? Okay, look. Egg whites are doing two things in a cocktail. They're providing uh, a texture and a, and a foam froth. But also the proteins in the egg whites are binding with um, – uh, flavors in the cocktail and kind of muting them. So like one of the reasons that an egg white is really good in whiskey sour is because it deadens the kind of uh, tannic nature of the wood in, in the oak. So what so there's a flavor thing happening there as well. So if you're going to substitute out, now you can just go buy, by the way, I don't know if you're against this, you can go buy frothy. The problem with frothy, which is a cocktail frother and I think it's, I don't know, remember whether it's propylene glycol alginate or just propylene glycol but uh, with uh, some emulsified Fires, is that they also add st- stupidly add flavor to it, like citric acid and like fake lemon flavor? I don't know why the hell you would do that. Like, just sell me the freaking froth. You know what I mean, Stas? Yeah. Don't sell me the froth plus some other BS. Just sell me the froth. But I'm sure someone makes one that just has the froth in it. Um, but you know th- that adds the the foam. But I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna do that uh, flavor uh, change uh, thing for you. Now. Anytime you uh, are going to put a foam on something, a lot of what times what people want to do is they want to add a stabilizer. So like your chickpea thing probably has some stable, stabilizing stuff in it. I have tried various cocktails with xanthan uh, as a stabilizer. It's not a whipping agent. You still need a whipping agent, something like a pineapple juice or a cucumber juice or uh, Versa Whip or anything that has kind of a, a, a whipping uh, uh, ability to it. But a the, the, the little bit of xanthan can stabilize the foam so that it lasts longer. Um, problem is is that remember we did that test with all those xanthans and you could kind of taste it it was kinda like, kind like, of like a little bit yeah anyway uh so i don't have anything uh 100 percent, but try the try the frothy um i'll try to think about it more anyone on the uh on the webinars on our chat room there can uh crank in on it too okay uh so so what should we talk about in the in the few minutes we have left should we talk about the patent should i talk about flowers on florage
3: I just wanted to double check with him, and he hasn't written me back. All
2: right, so we'll talk about it next time then. Sure. But we have got the patent in, working on the centrifuge, hard as hard as hard as hard. Um, it's uh, it's a long road. Once we once I can talk about the patent, I'll talk about because someone asked me what's it like to try to make a product in China, and I can talk about it. Did I say China like Trump? Did I just do it? Did I just use Trump's accent when I said China. China? China, China. Uh, he has a weird weird way of saying China, right? China very strange um we'll talk about when they, when that gets back all right so then did you have any questions from last week I need to hit or should i hit this other one
3: um you had one about did you talk about the pineapple and the all pineapple drink all the guy wanted you to no. acknowledge. knowledge no it's nothing it's not a question oh all right well I, youtube videos
2: oh all right well what's wh- who was it when we say go look at their youtube video of pineapple uh i like it i like that i like pineapple i like seerzals um while you're looking for that, I will read uh, this. Uh, my wife works as an assistant winemaker and is planning a blind tasting of wines, doped, doped, with different floral components to taste through with a group of winemakers where she works. We have done – by the way, we're doing a centrifuge uh, teaching uh, seminar today, right?
3: You are doing that today. Yeah.
2: Look, when we talk about the patent, I'll do a little bit about how centrifuges work and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, we have done similar experiments with fruits and herbs, and it is fairly st- – herbs. And it is fairly straightforward to extract uh, the characteristics. However, flowers are more of a challenge. There are issues getting all the flowers fresh, extracting floral aromatics versus the green character among other concerns. Yeah, so the people like pick the calyxes off of flowers. Dealing with flowers is a pain in the behind. Um, I don't have the list of flowers at present, but I'm sure it includes jasmine, honeysuckle, violets, roses, etc. Uh, are, there a specific, are there specific methods for making extracts or essential oils that are food-safe and can be added into wine directly and are stable for weeks to months? Uh, this would make finding all the flowers fresh at the same time less of an issue. If so, what would be the preferred liquid to perform our own extractions that we can later add to wine? Okay, uh, from Bobby. So – I would definitely get in touch with Mandy Aftel, the uh, perfumer, because she deals with this kind of uh, stuff all the time. But in general, flower essence – flower essences to me, they don't really – they're not necessarily the same as the actual flower itself. Sometimes they're pretty close, right? Like rose. Like rose. Mm. Rose can be pretty close. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you don't want to do a straight extraction into – most of the time, if you try to do a straight extraction of a flower directly into alcohol, it gets that disgusting – Soaked flour flavor. You know what I'm talking about, says that yes. gross yeah. soaked flour flavor. Yes. Yeah. So typically the. Uh the kind of uh, essences are made in one of several ways. But steam distillation is the easiest, kind of the cheapest way to do it. But a lot of flower aromas are – and then they're, then they're fixed in alcohol or other things. And you can get them and they're stable and you can get them food grade. I mean some flowers are po- – fl- not sunflowers. Some flowers are poisonous and so you should stay away from them. Remember we were going to put some poisonous flower into a drink and I was like, come on. It's a little bit okay. And they're like, no, really poisonous. No, kill you. Some iris variant. No. Wasn't it you that we were looking yeah, this up? Yeah, yeah, but I remember. Yeah. Re- anyway, uh, but some flowers can't be uh, done that way. So, the, like, the hardest one is, like, tuberose is really difficult to do, distillations, because the flavor breaks down. Now, we used to do tuberose in the rotovap. Remember, Stas? That was a pain in the behind. We would rotovap the tuberose because it was all at a low temperature, so it wouldn't break down. Do you like tuberose?
3: Mm-hmm. That's the one that grows on the beach? Uh,
2: no, it's the one that they make Hawaiian leis out of, oh. and it's got that, like, aroma. It's hard to do. Anyway. The classic way to do flowers that are difficult to do via distillation is a technique that Sam Mason used to play around a little bit with, but, and, you know, but it kind of got superseded by fat washing in general, but is an enfleurage. Uh, and so, remember was that movie stars about the perfume guy with the enfleurage, where he was like... He says
0: perfume, yeah.
2: Yeah? It was just called perfume? What was he doing? Killing people and getting their aromas? What was he doing? Yeah, that was it, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the way florage works is that uh, it's you know, labor intensive, is that you take the, the the aromatics in the flowers are soluble in uh, fat. So what they do is they take, typically for these, they take a solid fat, spread it on glass plates, and then put the flowers onto the glass plates, and then stack the glass plates up so that the aromas are just constantly wafting in these in these crates of glass plates through the fat. And then like after a specific amount of time, like a while, they'll rip the old flowers off, slap another layer of flowers onto them and basically get these like hyper aromatic uh flower fat things and the reason you leave in there for a long time is that the flowers you pick the calyx off by the way the green part so it's doesn't have those green things aromas the flower keeps on making aromas until it starts to break down and so the flower like the rather than just getting like a like a couple of minutes or a couple you get like a long period of the flower producing these aromas that you absorb into the fat then you wash the fat with very high proof ethanol to take the flavors out of the fat but you're not pulling any of the weird bitter crappy stuff out of the flowers because you've already removed the flowers from the equation by the time you put the alcohol in and that is how florage works, and that's the way I would go. And we got to go. Cooking issues. Thanks for
0: listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at Heritage Radio, Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.